This call is now being recorded. I knew that I wanted to live somewhere where people were genuinely excited to be living together. I was planning to stay in the Boston area after graduating, and housing is very expensive here. Um, But I wanted it to be kind of like an intentional space and not just like, oh, well, we have to live together because housing's too expensive and we're just going to kind of ignore each other and pretend like we're not sharing the space. So I kind of found in my housing search that co-ops really fostered a space with people who really wanted to be living together. So that's why I was drawn to living in a co-op after graduation. everyone. Just in case you don't recognize the sound of my voice by now, it's me, Anastasia. It's time for another episode of That's Rad, a podcast presented by the Littleton Food Co-op. Guess what? The Littleton Food Co-op is in fact a cooperative. Big shocker, I know. As we talked about in episode one, co-ops come in all shapes, forms, and sizes. All cooperatives are connected by their shared seven cooperative principles and their set of values. But what do we really know about these quote-unquote others outside the familiar walls of the LFC? On this episode of That's Rad, we're taking a look at just some of the multitudes that co-ops hold. Even though I know more than the average human on the subject of cooperatives, I'm not an expert in any way on every variety of co-op. That's why I'm so excited to have two special guests on this episode to share their experiences with co-ops that look different from ours here in Littleton in one major way each. They would like me to tell you that they are also no experts on their co-ops, but I think their experiences will be really insightful nonetheless. First, we're going to take a look at what co-ops look like internationally. Yes, co-ops in fact exist around the world. Actually, the cooperative principles we all govern ourselves by came from England. That's not to say there weren't co-ops beforehand in Greece, Rome, Babylon, and Native American or African tribes. But if you ask the cooperative world about the origin of the modern co-op, they'll most likely point you to Rochdale, England, where a group of mill workers decided they needed a new alternative option for getting their food. Sound familiar? They created the cooperative principles we know today. Soon, these principles, along with a bit of trial and error, made co-ops a global staple. Co-ops even made it all the way across the world to Australia, which is where we're going today. Well, like, we're not actually going, well, like, we, uh, well, just listen and you'll see what I mean. This call is now being recorded. Everyone, I'd like to welcome Cheyenne to the podcast today. Cheyenne is another one of my friends, and I invited her on today to talk about her experience with a co-op outside the U.S., and I'm personally very excited to hear more about what it's like, so thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. So first, it would be great probably if you just told us a little bit about yourself, where your co-op was located, and why you were over there. 
My name is Cheyenne. I'm a physical therapy student at Simmons University in Boston, but I've always had a passion for sustainability and in particular sustainable food systems. So while I was studying abroad my junior year at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia, I was so excited to see that they had an organic, locally sourced co-op grocery right on campus called Thoughtful Foods. Uh, at first, I just thought it would be a really great place to do some zero-waste food shopping, but once I learned a little bit more about the co-op and got to know the people there, I knew I really wanted to get more involved. Yeah, so I'm really curious how you decided to be become a part of the co-op. I mean, it's not like the typical study abroad thing on the checklist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, as you know, Simmons is pretty small, uh, maybe like, what, 2,000 students or something? So going from that to UNSW, which has closer to probably 50 to 60,000 students, was a huge change for me. So I knew I needed to find a way to meet like-minded people and make friends. And like I said, I had shopped at Thoughtful Foods a couple times before, and I just really loved how committed they were to finding local sources and reducing plastic waste, which is huge for me. And I just loved the vibes of the people that I met in the store. So I thought, yeah, I want to get involved. I want to hang out with these. These people, these are my folks, um, and really just sort of progress my own zero-waste lifestyle as well as promote that on campus. So what did you know about co-ops before you joined or before you went abroad? Honestly, not a whole lot. As far as groceries go, like specifically food co-op, I had heard of Harvest Co-op in Cambridge through some of the zero-waste Massachusetts groups that I'm a part of, but I never really got the chance to see what it was all about because by the time I had a kitchen and wasn't living in a dorm anymore, Harvest had permanently closed, which is so sad for the zero-waste Boston community. Other than that, I've also been a very big fan of REI for many years. I love the outdoors, but I had only really a vague understanding of what it meant to be a member and I'm not an REI member but like I knew you could receive discounts on products or services or get like exclusive access to events or gatherings or hikes and something about like owning a part of the business or a part of the co-op but yeah no I really didn't have a whole lot to go on before my experience at Thoughtful Foods. Um, I just knew that I wanted to volunteer there and at Thoughtful that meant you also had to be a member before you could be a volunteer. So I joined. I think before we've even learned anything about Thoughtful Foods, it shows a lot really that it was such an impactful place from just shopping there that you wanted to join and get involved um, right away. But let's talk about the co-op itself. Can you tell us a little bit about Thoughtful Foods and what you did there? Yeah, Thoughtful Foods is a volunteer-run, not-for-profit food co-op, and it's owned, managed, and run according to the wishes of its members. What really struck me in particular was the fact that it was a bulk food store, so that meant you were encouraged to bring in your own containers and pay for items by weight instead of by items that would cut down on plastic waste and plastic usage. Um, as far as what I did there, my main role was to help package the veggie boxes that were available for pre-order on Thursday. So I did that pretty much every week, but I would also usually come around afterwards to sort of help clean up the shop or work the cash register for a couple hours. And I also made some pretty cute chalkboard signs, if I do say so myself, to promote the shop and the veggie boxes, which I really enjoyed. Wow, she's a student 
a cooperator and an artist all in one. <laughs> the whole package. <laughs> but I think I think it's really interesting that Thoughtful Foods is volunteer run and that's something that's very different than the structure we have here at our co op in Littleton, New Hampshire, where we have we pay people um to work here and it there's no sort of member official member volunteer program um but that being said like a big part of the definition of being a cooperative is that it's member owned so can you clarify for us a little like is being a member of thoughtful foods different than being a volunteer um and then what does it take to be a member and what are some of the benefits you get in return yeah so to be a member um you just need to pay a yearly fee as well as to buy buy a share in the co-op so at the start of the year the fee is about 20 Australian dollars and the share price is 10 uh, and that is refundable if at any point you wanted to leave the co-op. So the share means, as it does in, in America, that you own part of the co-op. So you're involved in all of the decision-making. You have a say in the way that things are run. And it also comes with a couple other discounts and benefits. So members get 10% off of the items in the shop. It is also a requirement to volunteer. So you have to be a member before you can be a volunteer. And once you do volunteer, you can also earn additional discounts at the shop. Um, Members also have the privilege to order the weekly veggie boxes and the bread. Otherwise, that's off the table for just regular customers. Yeah, and like I said, members really do have the ability to have a say in the way that Thoughtful Food operates. So the structure is pretty fluid. It's like priorities of Thoughtful Food kind of shift or change based on the wishes of the members at the time. Uh Cool. And I know here in Littleton, a lot of people think of the co-op is kind of there almost like a community center like a step above a regular grocery store did you feel like either as a shopper or a volunteer there was kind of that community-based aspect oh absolutely like even just from the first time I shopped there I knew this place was different than anywhere else I shopped before and that's why I really wanted to become not only a member but also a volunteer like you just have access to this great social circle so for example after the veggie shift on Thursdays usually someone would brew a pot of tea from the shop and we'd all sit together by the storefront on like little wooden crates and we would just chat like we were pretty much all students so we would talk about we'd help each other with our homework we'd share what fun hikes we did that weekend give each other suggestions for yoga classes or cute coffee shops, you name it. And I really don't think I would have had that level of camaraderie if I was just a member or just a customer and not a volunteer as well. So for me personally, that was a huge difference between membership and volunteering. Mm, Okay. But do you have to be a member to shop at Thoughtful Foods or can anyone shop there? Nope. Anyone can shop there. During my time, we saw a mix of students because it was right on campus. It was super convenient. So we saw a bit of students, faculty, and just Sydney locals that would pop in who like to shop there. But as I mentioned before, members and volunteers also get discounts, which for me personally made it much more affordable. And you also had to be a member to order the veggie boxes or weekly bread orders. So it was sort of like member light if you were just a customer. Still great to see that our same themes of like everyone welcome regardless of membership status or a number of other things um, is still 
holding up across the world. Now, if you go on the Thoughtful Foods website, you'll see that there's an entire section on the website about, like, how to shop at Thoughtful Foods. That's not something that usually needs to be explained, so I think this must be pretty special. Can you explain to us how do you shop at Thoughtful Foods? Yeah, so like I mentioned before, Thoughtful Foods is a bulk food store primarily, so almost every item is stored in bulk, and customers are expected and encouraged to bring and reuse their own containers. So let's just like use something as an example. Let's take rice, um, just sort of walk through the process here. Um, so you would arrive at Thoughtful Foods, and the first step would be to tear your container on a scale. So this would make sure that the weight of your container is not included in the total weight of the item that you're paying for. So then after that, you would fill your container with as much or as little rice as you wanted, place it back on the scale, and write down either on your phone or just a piece of paper the new weight. And like I said, that way you're only paying for the weight of the rice, not the weight of the container. You'd be repeat that process for anything else in the store you wanted to purchase and you would take your list with all those item weights up to the volunteer at the counter and that person would then ring it all up and give you your total with any volunteer or member discounts applied. Uh, once you get the hang of it, it's honestly pretty easy. And if you tend to use the same containers really frequently, you can always write down the weight of the empty container on the lid or just somewhere on the side and just subtract that number from the total weight once it's all filled in with your goods the next time you come in. So we also sold things like brownies or frozen pies or just things that were more like household goods. We sold, for example, menstrual cups or fabric bags to store bread. So things that were more like individual items. Um, those are just priced just like any other normal shop, and you would just pay by item for those. And then we also had things that were like maybe a little bit messier or trickier to fill, especially for new customers who might not have the hang of the whole tear your jar kind of thing. For example, like oils, honey, tahini, just things that are a little bit trickier. Part of our jobs as volunteers would be to package up different sizes of jars with the weight and price of those items labeled on the side. That way it was just give you a little bit more of a grab and go option and you wouldn't have to spend 15, 20 minutes trying to fill a jar, honey. Yeah, I know from experience here, those can be very difficult things to fill and we also do the same thing with prepackaging some of our um, items as well, not just only the messy things, but the things that can act as more of a grab-and-go snack item, like some nuts or some chocolate-covered things, but it's really cool to keep. Yeah, they're so good. Um, The milk chocolate maple bourbon pecans, highly recommend. That sounds incredible. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But it's really cool to hear how basically this entire store is like our bulk department here at the co-op. I'm sure our entire bulk staff would love to have the entire store be a bulk store. Um, So it's cool to hear how that's actually a reality. Yes, I loved it. That was like one of my primary reasons for joining Thoughtful is because I just loved how encouraging they were to bring your own glass jars and like reduce your plastic waste as much as possible. So something else I'm interested in is this fruit and veggie box program. Can you explain how that works? Yes, this was my favorite job at the co-op. My good friend, Acadia Babister, was the veggie coordinator at the time I was volunteering at Thoughtful. So I just wanted to give her a little shout out for helping me with this podcast and giving me a little refresher on how things were run. So thank you, Acadia. Thanks, Acadia. Uh, (laughs) She's the best. Big shout out. 
Um, the Veggie Box program allows members to access a wide range of organic, Aussie, seasonal fruit and veggies. So the way that it works is a, as a customer, you order your Veggie Box anytime between Thursday and the following Tuesday before your pickup that next Thursday, either online or in the shop. And there were options ranging in size and price from as low as $15 all the way up to a big family size box that was $75. The Veggie Coordinator, so that would be Acadia, then takes all of the orders on Wednesday, does a bunch of math, and orders the perfect amount of fruit and veggies to fill those boxes. An amazing delivery driver then goes and picks up all the produce from the supplier who sources from a wide range of farms around the country, and the veggies are then delivered to Thoughtful on Thursday morning, which is when teams of volunteers, such as myself, then sort through all of the produce into their respective boxes by serving size or weight, so that way they're ready for the customers to come pick them up, starting usually around noon, midday. That's when we would usually try to have them done. But because the fruit and veggies are, like, pretty seasonal, um, it's kind of a surprise what you're going to get in your box each week. So Acadia, or the veggie coordinator, orders just according to what's available, what's affordable, and especially what's in season um, because we do want to source as locally as possible. So because of this, we usually also have a swap box available. For example, if you come to pick up your box that week and you've got, like, this gorgeous big beetroot in your box but you hate beetroot, no matter how gorgeous it is. Um, you can pop it in the spot box and take, for example, the kale that someone else really didn't want that week. So that way you can kind of customize your box a little bit based on what you want. So what my understanding is, it almost sounds like this co-op is integrating uh, a method or a model similar to many farmers around here use, which is the CSA or the Community Shared Agriculture, where you buy a pre-ordered amount and then they give you what they have. And in many cases, you're able to customize it a little bit, but just that seasonal big box standard price thing. Yes, exactly. It's very much very similar to that. And you had mentioned right at the end there about your sourcing. So that's a big thing we focus on here at the Littleton Food Co-op is the local sourcing of products. Is that an important consideration at Thoughtful Foods? I would say definitely, but because Thoughtful Foods is volunteer run, the priorities kind of change a little bit depending on who's organizing what year. So the three core values that Thoughtful really does focus on overarchingly are organic, local, and sustainable. So those three factors typically are taken into account when we source groceries and produce, but like I said, it can kind of shift a little in the priorities depending on who's coordinator at the time. So for example, when Acadia was ordering produce, her main priority was local, but as well as organic. So this meant that she really did strive to make sure that all the produce came from at least the east coast of Australia and was always seasonal. And for the most part, she was able to find organic greens that came from local farms right outside of Sydney. But because the locations of specifically organic farms didn't always line up with that, she, for example, could only ever get organic apples from out of state. So it really, we do try, and we did try um, as much as possible to get local food at Thoughtful, but to uphold some of those other values, sometimes we had to kind of reach outside a little bit. The groceries inside the store, again, um, 
we're a slightly different situation. We do try to source as, lo- as local as possible, but because Thoughtful really does focus on both local and organic, again, sometimes those organic ha- items had to be sourced from a little farther away or sometimes not even in Australia at all. I think one of the best examples would be the spices. So to find organic bulk spices was really difficult um, to source from Australia. So because it's not that far away from Asia, a lot of the spices um, that we kept in the shop came from places like India instead. Mm, I was going to say, I'm sure I think the definition of local looks probably a little differently considering you're in a totally different location. So you really do have to adjust and like for you to say, oh, like, yeah, just outside the bounds of local is... Uh, Asia, like that's a totally different situation <laughs> over oh, here. Definitely. But speaking of products, something I always like to know from other co-op people is what was your favorite product to buy from Thoughtful Foods? Oh, that is such an easy question. Definitely the vegan brownies. I'm not a vegan myself, but oh my God, I miss these things every day. Every day. I would have one, like, at least one after every shift on Thursday. It was just, like, the perfect way to round out the day. And if you really like rich, fudgy brownies, I highly recommend. I'm not, like, a huge brownie person, but just that description really made me want some. Um, Maybe we can see if Acadia can send some over here to Littleton, New Hampshire. Um, But... If anyone is curious about Thoughtful Foods, you can check out their website, thoughtfulfoods.org.au, Australia, uh, where you will also see Cheyenne has kind of become their poster child. It's pretty amazing. Um, But thank you so much, Cheyenne, for coming on the podcast and giving us a little more insight into co-ops across the world. Of course. This was so much fun. Thank you again for having me. In the spirit of diverse co-ops, I wanted our product of the week to come from another cooperative this time around. This week, I've chosen something from Cabot Cooperative out of Cabot, Vermont. If you live in New England, you've most likely heard of Cabot Creamery, but did you know they're actually a cooperative? Cabot formed as a cooperative back in 1919 with 94 dairy farmer families from Cabot, Vermont. It's still a cooperative today, although whether co-op is formally in the name goes back and forth and it has grown to 800 families across New England. Now I know Cabot is one of the more well-known cooperatives but I think there's still a less well-known hidden gem in their lineup. It's the Everything Bagel Cheddar Cheese. No, this is not a cheese with bagel bits inside or cheese shaped like a bagel, although that would be pretty cool. This is a cheese encrusted in the flavors of onion, garlic, and poppy seeds that remind you of walking into a bakery. It's even lactose-free. This suitable-for-everyone cheese is great on a cracker, as a solo snack, or on a bagel. Whether you use its namesake bagel variety is up to you. Before I had this, I was very skeptical. You know, would the flavor live up to its everything bagel name? Would cheese and this variety of spices actually work together? The answer to both is yes. You can try Cabot's hand-rubbed everything bagel cheddar cheese at the Littleton Food Co-op today. Find it in the dairy cooler featuring all of our favorite Cabot products. 
Here at the Littleton Food Co-op, we are, as the name implies, a consumer food cooperative. But you can also find co-ops for banking, farming, electrical services, and childcare. You can even live in a co-op. And no, I don't mean just taking a pillow and blanket to aisle three like I do. Housing cooperatives date all the way back to 1895 and can now be found in many spots nationally and globally. Even though they're often poked fun at on network sitcoms, housing co-ops have many benefits and can provide a unique living experience. Let's find Find out more about what it's like to live in a co-op from one of my good friends, Sunny. I'm so happy to welcome my friend, Sunny, to the podcast. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me. Sunny is a fellow recent graduate of Simmons University who offered to share some things about her experience living in a housing cooperative. You may also remember Sunny as my friend who had been to Zingerman's, the place behind my favorite co-op training video. Sunny, even though both of us have like pretty different backgrounds and very different majors, I still think it's like so funny that we both kind of ended up somehow connected to co-op in our post-grad life. Uh, so Sunny, to start off, what did you know about co-ops before moving into one? Um, I really didn't know much about co-ops before I moved into one. I remember we had a food co-op in my hometown of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And as a kid, I remember being super confused by it because we weren't members. So I just thought it was a normal grocery store, and I, I didn't get it. I was like, Mom, what? what's a co-op? What? It's just a store. <laughs> what's happening? Um <laughs> But I think I started to understand a little bit more about co-ops um, actually when I started touring colleges and I visited one school that had a lot of housing cooperatives. And so that's when I kind of started to understand that it was about sharing things and building community with other people. And then you really became friends with me and you were like, okay, I know too much. Please stop talking about <laughs> co-op. <laughs> yeah, I heard a lot about the co-op convention in Minnesota. That was cool. <laughs> So were you specifically looking to live in a housing co-op either right after graduation or at some point in your life? So I knew that I wanted to live in a place where people were genuinely excited to be living together, but I wasn't necessarily attached specifically to living in a co-op. Um, I was planning to stay in the Boston area after graduation, and housing is really expensive here, so a lot of people live with housemates anyways. Um, but I knew that I wanted it to be an intentional space and not just people living together because they had to, for financial reasons, who would just ignore each other around the house and not really interact much. And then in my housing search, I found that um, cooperative housing kind of fostered spaces where people were actually excited to be sharing things and living together. So that's kind of how I discovered that co-ops might be a good housing option for me. That's really cool, and I also love how you use the word intentional. I think that's a phrase we hear a lot, even on the consumer side of cooperatives, of you don't have to be doing this, but you want to be doing this. So that's, that's great to hear that it applies to you as well. Now, obviously, we don't want to, like, give away where you live and what cooperative you live in. So I'm just going to kind of refer to it as, like, your co-op. So my next question is, 
what was like the process to get approved of living in your co-op and was it different than how you would typically end up living in a regular apartment or a house? Yeah, it was a little bit different. So I sent the co-op an interest email with some information about myself. And then after that, they invited me to meet the other people who were living there and take a tour of the house. And they definitely asked me some questions when we met that I wouldn't necessarily expect from a typical housemate interview. Uh, They asked me things like, what are you looking for in a house culture? Or would you be interested in sharing groceries um, or participating in a cooking schedule and things like that? So my housemates and I have actually done housemate searches since I moved in. So now I kind of have seen like both sides of the process, both being someone who's looking to live there and being someone who's trying to find people to live with us. So now I kind of understand that a lot of those questions we're trying to get at, just trying to find people who who really wanted to live with others, like who were excited about communal living. Of course, in addition to just what you want in any housemate, which is someone who seems interesting and fun to be around. So for those who don't know a lot about housing co-ops, myself being one of them, um, there are kind of different levels. So most of them out there could probably be put on what I think of as the sliding scale ranging from the tenants own the building and they share responsibility of every single little detail all the way down to no real shared responsibilities, but you still kind of have a say in the happenings of the building. Where would you put your co-op on that sort of spectrum? Yeah, that's so true. I think that's part of the reason why co-ops were a little confusing to me when I was younger is because there is such a wide range of kind of like what a co-op is, which is really cool because that means it can be tailored to the situation or the context. Um, So me and my housemates rent We rent the top two floors of a three-story house. Um, We do not own the house because we can't afford to, (laughs) but we consider ourselves a co-op based on the simple fact that we intentionally share things. (laughs) So that includes the common spaces in the house, food, cooking, house responsibilities and tasks, and we also like to share our time with each other. We like to go on house adventures and hang out and just enjoy each other's company. Aww. (laughs) Let's dive into a little bit more about how is living in your co-op different from the traditional apartment experience that most people are more likely to relate to. One of the biggest things that we share is our groceries. So we have a pretty complicated process (laughs) where everyone fills out a pretty extensive grocery survey about what foods they eat and how frequently they eat them. And then we use that to make a house staples list. And that house staples list becomes like our shopping list for each week. So we can decide which things on the house staples list we want to purchase together for that week. And then we also, people purchase personal items that are not shared. So we don't share every single thing. And we also have grocery clubs. So, for example, if someone is vegan and a few other people eat cheese, then we'll have cheese clubs. So everyone who likes to eat cheese will be in on that purchase um, financially, and the people who don't won't have to contribute to that. So that's a pretty – one of the more complicated um, (laughs) processes that that goes on in our house for sharing things. I would also um, like to be part of the cheese club, just putting that out there. (laughs) Yes. So now since you're in a house (laughs) – Yeah. 
So since you're in a house, are there like communal spaces that you have to share? So everyone in the house has their own bedroom, except for one of the bedrooms is occupied by a couple, so they share it. And then we have two bathrooms, so we have to share those. Um, and we have a dining room, a kitchen, and a living room. So we share those common spaces. And there are some people who use the spaces more often than others, but in general, we have enough spaces that you can still, you can find space outside of your room to hang out that isn't too crowded. And we do like to do things in those common spaces together sometimes. But we also have our privacy, so it's not like we just wander into each other's rooms or, like, assume that everyone wants to hang out all the time. So we still do have our independence, even though we like to share the space. That's nice. And I think you also mentioned something um, about when you were applying. They asked you about a cooking schedule. We actually just had some new folks move in on September 1st. So we haven't yet established our cooking schedule for right now, but what I really like to do in the absence of that formal schedule yet is I just make multiple servings of things. So if I'm cooking something, instead of just making enough for myself and maybe one batch of leftovers for lunch the next day, I'll just try and make a bigger serving of things. And then I put my leftovers in the fridge, and we have a labeling system. So if I put green cake it means that it's public. And if I put orange tape on it with my name, it means that it's a personal item. So everyone can tell pretty easily which things are up for grabs. So if I cook extra leftovers, I'll just put green tape on it and put it in the fridge. And then other people know that they can they can go ahead and eat those. So it, it's pretty, it makes me pretty happy when like a housemate comes into the kitchen and they're like, oh, I don't know what to make for dinner. I don't know. And I'm like, guess what? I have leftovers, and then they get super excited because they get to eat them and they don't have to make dinner. So, yeah, it's nice. It's fun to have other people enjoy my food. (laughs) Do you think there are any other major components that make it very much so different than the traditional apartment experience? Um, I would say one of the other things that's maybe different is that we do have structured house meetings. So every other week we come together and talk about house happenings or any like questions or issues that need to be discussed and just check in with each other about how everyone's doing. And I really like having the house meetings. Um, It works well for me because it's kind of a structured time um, to talk about anything that we want to talk about. I I like to make sure that I'm not just, like, coming up to someone with a a question or an issue randomly. Like, I don't want to accost someone in the kitchen when they're, like, when I don't know if they're having a good day or not and be like, what's up with this dish rack? (laughs) This isn't working for me. (laughs) But when we have a house meeting, I know that that's a space where people are ready and willing to listen and work through things. So it helps to just have a space to bring things up that keeps the house running smoothly. That's great. And it's so funny thinking about these things that are seen as kind of not normal when in your description of them, sounds like a lot of traditional apartment or house spaces could benefit from these same things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing I'm curious about is what happens if some sort of decision needs to be made regarding the entire house either like the actual house itself or a policy, how is that decision brought about? 
So we actually use the house meetings for, for things like that. Um, so if someone has um, some sort of issue that they or like a need that that's not being met, we'll talk about that in a house meeting. Usually we start out with a proposal of something that could potentially meet that need or solve that issue. So I'll use the dish rack as an example because <laughs> clearly I have feelings about dish racks. So <laughs> um, if the need is that the dish rack doesn't fill up too quickly, right? So then my proposal would be what if we put the large, the extra large bowls directly back where they go instead of putting the extra large bowls in the dish rack because they take up a lot of space. So that would be my proposal. And then we go around the circle and each person says how they feel about that proposal, if they agree, if they have follow-up questions, if they have another proposal idea. And then after everyone gets a chance to weigh in on the proposal, then we go around and kind of like vote on that proposal. So we do like thumbs up or thumbs middle or thumbs down to say like, yes, I agree with this proposal or I need more information or no, I don't think that's going to work. And if everyone kind of votes the proposal through, then we say, okay, it's settled. We are no longer putting the extra large bowls in the dish rack. (laughs) So that's an example of how we would resolve some sort of house decision. Sounds like a very democratic process. Yes, it is very democratic. (laughs) So overall, Sunny, would you recommend this experience? And do you think there's a certain type of person who would be a good co-op resident and enjoy living there? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I've learned a lot about myself from living in a co-op, and I've also learned lots of cool things from my housemates. So I would say if you like meeting new people, learning from others, and, of course, sharing things and building community, I would say that you would have a great time living in a co-op. That settles it. Um, if that's <laughs> out there, be looking for a, a cooperative place to live. But, Sunny, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your experiences living in a co-op. This is really great. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. this episode of That's Rad. Even though this is a podcast by a co-op about co-ops, I think this episode might come in first for the number of times I've said co-op. Geesh, I need to take a break from that word. I hope you all enjoyed learning about co-ops different than our own. I thought it was cool to see how even though they were all so different, you can still see underlying themes and values regardless of location or purpose. Do you have any experience with other co-ops? Since I am now a certified nerd, I like to try and visit other co-ops if possible when I'm traveling. And since I will not be traveling for a while, this episode was extra great for me. I'd once again like to thank my friends Cheyenne and Sunny for not abandoning me after college and for also coming on the podcast. If you out there have any questions, comments, product of the week suggestions, or stories, please send them our way. You can write to marketing at littletoncoop.org. Or you can DM us on Facebook, Littleton Food Cooperative, and Instagram at littleton underscore co-op. Thanks again for listening. Now, remember to eat, sleep, and be rad.
a production of the Littleton Food Co-op. Anastasia Marr hosts and directs. Jesse Smith and Annie Stewart produce. Becky Colpritz provides her unrelenting support and positivity. The Littleton Food Co-op is Littleton, New Hampshire's community-owned grocery store. We put our money where your mouth wants to be. Local farms, of course. No membership is required to shop here. Come check us out sometime, just off of Exit 41 in Littleton at 43 Bethlehem Road. Or, if you're cruising the web, go to littletoncoop.com.